you guys may have noticed that apparently this morning we have a lazy eye. Uh, one screen, it looks a little different than the other. Uh, you'll have to forgive us. One of the glories of doing mobile church is our projectors that are mounted, actually, which is incredible. Uh, this one over here, for some reason, got a little tired. Apparently, it's a little hungover. And so that, that projector decided it didn't want to work. So we're like, well, let's punt, which is something that the Gators did <clears throat> a lot yesterday. <laughs> it's really, it's just so painful, so painful, so painful. Um, wow, and, and to think we had such a great time yesterday serving, and then we were let down like that. But no, <laughs> yesterday was incredible. I, I just want to tell you, as a pastor, this, this whole uh, five weeks of service campaign that we've been doing, you guys, has been incredible for me. To, to, I feel like each and every week we keep topping it with a, I couldn't be more prouder moment. I was out there yesterday watching over 75 of you, probably closer to 80 of you, out in your orange shirts and ponchos. And those of you who got the orange ponchos, yeah, way to go, way to be orange, even in the rain, it was awesome. Just out there, just so many of you just soaked, just soaking wet, serving. And I actually made the comment to, to one of the orange-shirted ones yesterday that I, I looked at them and I said, listen, today we prove to those communities that we're here to stay. Because anybody can throw a, a party. Anybody can, can be out in the sunshine. But yesterday, when the people who live in those communities saw the orange shirts out there again, serving in the middle of the poor, I mean, it, it, it wasn't just sprinkling. It was pouring down rain. And you guys were out there, and I just want you to know, I, just, I looked across that, the, the courtyards and the, the buildings and just saw what you were doing, hanging Christmas lights and cleaning up garbage and trash just in the middle of the rain. And I just, I couldn't have been prouder. It was just incredible. Matter of fact, I, I, we were handing out um, cups of hot chocolate during the day and I walked up to this mom and a little girl who were peeking out one of the doors while we were there in Sable Palms. And I walked up and I said, hey, do you want some hot chocolate? You know, yeah, okay, sure. And I, I gave it to her and she looked at me and she goes, what are you guys doing? And I said, well, we're just, you know, we're just here to serve. We're just trying to clean up your community and just show you the love of God. And she goes, are you, she goes, that doesn't make any sense. And I looked at her and I kind of smiled and I said, exactly. That's why we're here. Because we want you to know that we love you and we're committed to your community. So guys, to, to all of you who served, to our church who is just making it happen Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. Unbelievable. I just, as a, as a pastor, as a leader, as an influence in your life, I just want to say thanks. This is incredible what you guys, what we are doing together. We're changing a community. We're lifting a community. And it is, it's just incredible. So what I love about this Serve Somebody series is that not only are we on Saturdays um, zeroing in and, and, and putting our, our faith to work, so to speak, but I love that on Sundays we're able to zoom out then and talk about some high-level concepts. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about four different mindsets or beliefs that people who live in a poverty mentality or, or, or honestly, people who... who are unable to live an overcoming life, that it's not just what we're discovering is these mentalities, these mindsets, aren't just for people who, uh, who are, are living down in the communities that we're trying to serve, but these mindsets so often can plague some of us, many of us as well. And so I, I just, uh, I, I love that on Sundays we're able to unpack those. And a couple weeks ago, you remember that we talked about the first mindset 
that sets into people who, who can't seem to break through and live an overcoming life. And that is, I don't know. They don't know if anybody truly believes in them. That the, the average person, we said a couple weeks ago, has no one in their life that they truly believe believes in them. Last week then, we talked about how, how the second mindset is that people live under this, this, um, this idea, this heavy blanket that says, I'm not capable. We talked about how one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world, it, it, Moses of ancient Israel, how Moses himself, this, this leader that they've made movies about, this leader that, that the world over knows of and, and knows as a great leader of the children of Israel, leading them out of Egypt, that that leader, that Moses struggled with an I'm not capable mindset. We talked about how those living in a poverty mentality struggle with th those two mindsets, but not just them, but us as well, or people in our offices, people in our workplaces, people in our schools, people in our neighborhoods, who just can't seem to break through that lid in their life, how they, so many of us struggle, feeling like Moses, that we're not capable. Well, today, I want us to talk about the third mindset that, that can hit us as individuals, that can hit us as followers of, of Christ, that can hit those of us living in the communities who are, who are living under this poverty mentality. And the third mindset today is this, I don't have. I don't have. The first one is I don't know, I'm not capable. Number three then is I don't have. See, it's okay for us to give people belief. It's, it's, a, it's great for us to tell them we believe in you. Jesus believes in you. Jesus believes in us. It's great for us to say to them, we're going to be Aaron's and come around the Moseses in our world and, and lift up their arms and together we are capable. And belief and, and training and skills is wonderful. But at the end of the day, at some point, we have to take it a step further even than that and offer people an opportunity. And that's what we're talking about today is, is that serving is giving an opportunity. It's giving an opportunity. It's, it's leveraging something of value in us for the sake of someone else. And the truth is, each and every one of us know what it is to have had someone in our life leverage something of value for us. I remember in 2002 when we moved here, that we had heard uh, to start a church, you needed a launch team. And we didn't really have one of those since it was just my wife and I, our then 19-month-old son, and two college guys. We, we kind of were like, well, that'd be great. Where do you get a launch team? Uh, and so what we decided to do was start a, a Bible study. We said, well, we need to start, you know, like a, a Bible study so that we can start to build, you know, this launch team sort of deal. And eight years ago, South, listen, Southwest Florida was like the mission field. No, 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 listen. Some of you know this, you were here. There were no Starbucks. Listen, that's, I'm t I know, I know. We were suffering for Jesus. <sighs> so anyway, we're like, well, we got to start this Bible study in a coffee shop. And so we looked around for a couple weeks. There's no Starbucks here. We're like, this is the ends of the earth. I mean, listen, if, if Starbucks isn't here, Clearly, the gospel has not made it here. And so we, we finally found this one coffee shop up on Boy Scout Drive called Lighthouse Coffee Company. And so one day early before work, I got up early, and I went in to talk to Cindy, the, the lady who owned it. And I, I remember going in there, and it was, you know, that morning rush, and she's just making breakfast and, you know, serving coffees and making drinks and the whole deal. And I'm like, can I... Can I talk to you for a few minutes? And I remember her looking at me and she goes, honey, it's not going to get any better than this, so you better just start talking. And I'm like, Aah! 
<laughs> mom, I'm scared. And I remember just, you know, just talking to her and being like, well, we just, we're, we're here, we moved here from Indiana and we want to start a church called Next Level Church. And, and so we're, we want to start a Bible study. And would you, well, I know you close on, at seven o'clock on Tuesday nights, but would you agree to, to stay open? I mean, she's just barista, you know, she's just doing that, you know, bartender only for coffee thing. And she's just doing, and, and she just, she's, you know, like she was skeptical. She's like, what? You want to do what? And just, you know, mixing coffee and doing the deal. And so sure enough, Cindy agreed to stay open for us on Tuesday night. They closed at seven and she said, sure, as long as you'll take care of my barista, the guy working, and, and as long as you'll, you know, make sure that he's well taken care of. And as long as he agrees to do it, then fine, you can start your little church in my coffee shop. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is now close to eight years later, that coffee shop is no longer in existence. And about a month ago, my wife and I ran into Cindy. And we saw her, and, you know, how you doing? And the boys are getting big. Yeah, the whole deal. And she looked at us, and she said, I want you guys to know something. I, I'm no longer... I was no longer able to keep that coffee shop open, but I want you to know that I firmly believe that one of the reasons why I opened that coffee shop and ran it at all during that season of my life was for you. So that you guys would have a place to start your church. Because she's been here several times. She knows all that God is doing through Next Level. And Sarah and I just sat at the table that night and just she walked away and we're just blown away that eight years ago a woman named Cindy leveraged her business leveraged her influence leveraged her her status her livelihood for us that she gave us a leg up some of us know know what it is to have someone in our life who who leveraged resource or, or money for us you know what I'm talking about the car broke down and you're a, str a struggling, you know, young couple with two babies at home and the car broke down and, and all of a sudden an envelope magically appeared or someone made a deposit in our checking account. And we know what it is to have someone leverage something of value of theirs for us. For others of us, it, it was time. We were going through a hard season in our life. We were going through a, a difficult time in our life. Maybe it was a divorce that we were walking through or maybe it was a, a struggle at work or some, some other circumstances of our life where we just found ourselves at wit's end and someone, older and wiser or whomever, took it upon themselves to say, hey, we should have coffee sometime. They took two hours out of their day or they took a lunch hour out of their life or they took an afternoon out or an evening to sit with us and just, it was their time. And you and I both know it meant the world to us, didn't it? See, each and every one of us have those opportunities where we know someone has leveraged something of value for us. I, I think about 2004 when Hurricane Charlie came through. And we were then doing church in the movie theater over at the Bell Tower, and there were probably a couple hundred people coming at the time. And when Hurricane Charlie came through, it hit on a Friday, and, and it just brought huge damage. And, and so the movie theater was not open on Sunday morning. I can remember talking to the manager uh, and him saying, it's, it's just not going to happen. And so what we did is we knew we couldn't meet inside on Sunday morning. And so instead, we started calling everybody and said, we're still going to meet at the theater. We're still going to meet at the theater. And we met and we had church on the front steps of the theater. And there were about 90 people who showed up that day. 
And I was there, you know, with my guitar and just led us in a few songs of worship and encouraged us and preached a little message while everybody's sitting on the steps. And then I remember at the end, I basically said, listen, we recognize that there are some of you whose homes have been damaged. Some of us are living without power right now. Some of us have water damage. Whatever you, if you have a need in your life, we, we want to match you up with people in our church who can begin to meet that need. And it was the coolest thing for us just standing on the steps of a movie theater. We received the offering in the guitar case that day. It was, I, I was Bono for like 40 minutes. I'm just saying. It was like, wow, just throw money in the guitar case, mate. It was great. Anyway, because he's not from Australia, though. He's from Ireland, Matt. So your accent's way off. It was the coolest thing. Don't miss the point. Come on. Come on. <laughs> It was the coolest thing to see each, brothers and sisters in Christ, people in, in our fellowship and our family as a church, just helping each other, taking people in, saying, hey, I need a place to stay. My home doesn't have electricity. And people just say, come on, just stay with us. You can stay with us. We'll help you. We'll fix up your home. We'll, we'll do whatever it takes. I, I love that. I love the fact that, that each and every one of us, at some point or another in, in the story of our life, have had someone who gave us an opportunity, someone who gave us a leg up, someone who leveraged something of value of theirs for the sake of us. <laughs> I remember when we moved here, forgive me for just being, Matt's like on memory lane here. What is going on? It's a, I'm waxing nostalgic. What's going on? It's the holidays. I can do that. I remember when we moved here, um, previous to moving here in January of 02, I, I had done nothing but ministry my whole life. And, and so I, I had no, no other job, no other form of income except for ministry. And so when we got here, I needed to get a job to pay the bills while we were starting this little church. And I can remember for about three weeks, I put in applications everywhere. I mean, I applied. I did everything I knew how to do. I knocked on every door I possibly could and basically discovered that I was, with all of my ministry experience, that I was, um, what's the word, unhirable. One after another, people kept looking at me going, why aren't you doing something in your field? I'm like, well, I kind of am, but I can't really tell you that. But I'm going to use your job for a few months until the church gets off the ground, and then I intend to quit. They probably would have hired me at that point. <laughs> well, you're hired, son. <laughs> so it was interesting because we, we had one family that we knew uh, who lived here in the area in Cape Coral who were family friends who had, from 30 years ago back in Indiana, my mom had taught piano lessons to their daughters, the Fessels, um, Richard and Jennifer Fessel. And they owned a jewelry store in Cape Coral, still do, on Del Prado. And I remember going to them after about a month of trying to get a job and basically sitting down with Richard and saying, listen, I know nothing about jewelry. Uh, I have zero experience, but I'm honest. And Richard agreed to give me a job working in the back of the jewelry store, paying me more than I should have been paid at $11 an hour. I knew nothing. And for the first six or seven months of our church, Richard and Jennifer Fessel let me work at the jewelry store. I mean, listen, I was the most overpaid, can you run to Winn-Dixie and get me another pound of coffee mat guy ever? But I appreciated that Richard and Jennifer leveraged something of value, their, their jewelry store, 
to give us a leg up, to give my wife and I an opportunity to live and fulfill our dream. And each and every one of us have stories like that, don't we? We could, we could point to, to people who, who knew us and who knew somebody who knew somebody who got us in the door that allowed us to work where we're working now, whatever. Each and every one of us have stories like this, don't we? Of someone leveraging something of value for us so that we could have an opportunity that we would have had no other way. You know, it's interesting because as we read the Bible, as we study the New Testament, we study the life of Jesus, we begin to discover that that is exactly what Jesus did over and over and over again in his ministry. During his three years of ministry here on earth, Jesus modeled this kind of serving, giving opportunity to others, leveraging something of value for them. He modeled this over and over and over again for us. As a matter of fact, that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes today. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 8. Because in John chapter 8, we read one such account, one such instance where Jesus leveraged his ministry, something of extreme value for an individual who needed an opportunity at a better life. John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 2. The verses will be on the screen around me. Let's, let's go ahead and read that together. John chapter 8 says this, At dawn, he, speaking of Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach. What's happening here? Basically, where we pick up the story, Jesus is in the prime of his ministry. That when, when we find him here teaching, he's teaching in, in the temple, in the synagogue, in, in, in church, so to speak. And it's early in the morning, and he's teaching, and there's a great crowd gathered around him for church, listening to this, to this Jesus, this new rabbi who's thinking new thoughts and teaching about grace and mercy and all of these crazy ideas about their religion at the time. This Jesus is teaching this new, uh, new ideas and new concepts. And so here he is in the prime of his fame, in the prime of Jesus' popularity of influence. And he's teaching in, in church, continuing on. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious guys of the day, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. What's going on here? Basically, as Jesus is sitting on a stool, much like I am today, awesome, well done, Jesus, way to go. I approve of your ministry, Jesus. Never mind. As Jesus is teaching in a church, come on. As Jesus is teaching in a church, all of a sudden, all of the religious guys of the day, in an effort to trap Jesus, bring in this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they stand her before Jesus and before this entire crowd, and they look at Jesus and they say, in an effort to trap him, you know Moses? Oh yeah, everybody loves Moses. Everybody loves Moses. Say amen. Amen. Everybody loves Moses. Moses was delivered from Egypt. Moses was the hero. Moses was the guy. Everybody loved Moses. And they're standing in front of this church, this group of people, and in front of Jesus, and they look at Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, guess what? The most popular figure in history, Moses says that women like this ought to be put to death. What do you say? They're trying to trap him. They're trying to, they're trying to stick it to him. 
But if we can take a time out from what the Pharisees were trying to do for a second and, and attempt to make this story a little bit more personal, let's do that. Because remember, there's a real person involved in this story. There's a real woman who, for whatever reason, wasn't living how she should have been living, wasn't living the kind of abundant life that Jesus was teaching about. And here's this poor woman who, who is sunk. I mean, she's busted in the act. Now, pay no attention to the fact that the man apparently got off scot-free, but this woman needs to be held accountable. So here is this poor woman who is brought in, stood in front of everyone, humiliated, and stood before the teacher, the premier teacher of the day, and by all rights is dead. Moses says, stone her. Moses says, put her to death. And without an intervention, without a miracle, without something God-sized, this woman won't see sunset. She'll be dead. Except for the fact that the Pharisees didn't bring this woman and stand her before just any teacher of the day. They brought her before special teacher. His name was Jesus. Watch what Jesus does next. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, and then look at this statement that Jesus makes. Go and leave your life of sin. Woman, you should be dead. But because of me, uh, in, in this moment, I'm going to leverage my entire ministry, my entire influence, the, my entire platform that I am building a movement that will continue for two millenniums and counting, by the way. I am putting all of that on the line so that you, a woman who's not living the way you ought to be living, can have an opportunity at a better life, to have an opportunity at a life that you only dreamt was possible. Woman, I'm giving you a second chance. And what Jesus did in that moment defied logic. It, it betrayed convention. It was not politically correct. And instead of condemning her, he gave her a leg up. He gave her an opportunity at a better life than, he, than she ever could have imagined. And I believe that the same calling for compassion that was on Jesus 2,000 years ago with this woman 
is on each and every one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus as well. That the same calling to, to leverage something of value for the sake of someone else, the same calling that was on Jesus' life is on our life as well. Because look, serving at its very core is giving opportunity. How do we serve somebody? How do we be orange to our world, to our neighbors, to our workplaces, to, to the students in our classes, to our sons and our daughters, to our grandparents, to, to relatives this Christmas season? How do we do that? We leverage something of value that God has given to us for the sake of someone else. Growing up in a small town in Indiana, I... I had an opportunity to watch my parents live out this Jesus principle. And if I'm being honest with you, looking back now 20 years later, I'm realizing how much watching my parents model this for me, in one particular instance especially, has changed my life. In elementary school, I played Little League basketball, and in Indiana, it was all about Indiana basketball, and so we, just, we were just little gym rats all winter long. Just the minute it got cold, we were at the elementary school, and we were just playing, and my dad was like the commissioner of the Little League Basketball League. I mean, we were into it. We were into it. And I can remember one Saturday. It was a Saturday before Thanksgiving, and my dad, and I, I don't know how he, he ended up getting in touch with this family or came to know of them, but one of the assistant coaches on our team was, was a young kid named Eric. And the Saturday before Thanksgiving, my dad, after, after practice or after the game, whatever, was asking Eric, what are you going to do for, for Thanksgiving? And Eric made a comment, oh, well, I don't, I don't know. We're probably just going to go out to eat or something. My dad was like, well, why? I mean, Eric had two little brothers and a, and a ma, single mom at home who was the crossing guard at our elementary school, and I think she made about $2 an hour. She's trying to, struggling and raising these three boys. And so my dad kind of started pushing on Eric a little bit. But why, you know, why, why isn't your mom going to cook for Thanksgiving? Or what, you know, this? Come to find out, long story short, the family had been evicted from the home that they were renting because of some dispute over whose responsibility was something or blah, blah, blah. And so when they moved to their new little house, they didn't have enough money to pay the electric and the water. And so they had been living in November in Indiana, where it's cold, for a number of weeks without water or heat. And my dad started to question him, and he said, Eric, how are you going to, how are you guys staying warm? He said, well, we just have a couple of little kerosene heaters and some candles. So the next Monday, my dad went down to the electric office. And he turned on the water and the electric for this family. And he put it in his name. And as a, as a child, that shaped me. You know Why? Because every year in my little league basketball pictures, all of the faces of my teammates changed. But there were two constant faces in all of my basketball pictures growing up. One 
was my dad. And the other was a guy named Eric. And I watched my parents love this family. And for better than a year, keep the electric and water on at their house in my dad's name. And he sat down with that little mom who was trying to take care of her three little boys. And he worked with her on how to create a budget. And at the end of every month, she would show up at our house with an envelope or at the gym full of, full of cash to pay my dad what she could on that electric bill. And as a child, that shaped me. Because I watched my mom and dad model what it means to live like Jesus. I watched my mom and dad model what it means to serve like Jesus. So as you and I talk about serving somebody, and certainly now that we're into the Christmas season, as you and I begin to, to talk about what should it look like to live like Jesus, what does it mean to serve those in our neighborhoods, to serve those in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods downtown? What does it mean to serve like Jesus? It means looking for the opportunity to give someone a leg up, to leverage something of value sake of someone else. And you know the most incredible part for me as I reflected on that story over the last couple weeks knowing that this message was coming is to think about the fact that that story for me is a picture of the gospel. You want to know what Christmas is about? That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about God leveraging something of value, his son, Jesus, for us. One of the most famous passages of Scripture the world has ever known, John chapter 3, verse 16, says it best. It says this, For God so loved the world, he so loved humankind, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him, Jesus, would not perish or would not live a life separated from God but, or, or, or eternal death, would not perish but would have eternal life, could know what it is to have an assurance in our heart that when we die, we will live forever in heaven. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of communion. And verse 17 unpacks it even further. Because see, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, we might be saved. That's why Jesus came. To give you and I, broken, fallen, sinful humanity, an opportunity, a leg up. Because see, the reality is this thing called sin in our life has dug a pit. It's created a deficit. It's created a hole that no amount of good works, no amount of serving, no amount of giving, no amount of, of any of that will ever be able to repay God enough to get us out of this hole that sin has dug for our lives. The only way you and I make it out of the hole of sin is if God intervenes and steps in and leverages something of value, namely His Son. So as we conclude our time together this morning, we're going to be receiving communion.
And as we do, I just want to challenge us and encourage us to reflect on all that it means to have a God who loved us so much that he was willing to leverage his very own son so you and I can be forgiven. Let's reflect on that.